All right, welcome to episode 21 of the Strength Ratio Podcast. I'm Zach Greenwald, joined Take today. Take number 30. Take number 30. It's been a rough one, but hopefully we, we'll get, we get this one and cruise. With, here with Kyle Klachenko today. Hey, guys. We're talking about asymmetries in strength sport. We'll also talk about CrossFit and endurance sports. We're going to talk about its significance, if it's something that we should be worrying about, and if it is, maybe how much worry should we have, and are there ways of going about becoming more symmetrical. Uh, in our own experience, much like the experience of our athletes, it's not something that we particularly enjoy because when you watch on camera, it just doesn't look as nice as you'd like for it to look. And sometimes it might not feel uh, as best as it has otherwise felt when things at least outwardly, appear symmetrical. I think it even goes back to why people get into weightlifting in the first place. They see Arnold and the symmetry involved with bodybuilding and the Vitruvian man. There is this sense that to be human is to be balanced or to or to be symmetrical. And it's aesthetically to, pleasing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, or to uh, be fit means you have to be mm-hmm. symmetrical. And The first thing we're going to say in this podcast is that humans are not symmetrical. So the first hurdle that you have to overcome is that you have this aesthetic, you have maybe even this characteristic of what makes someone fit, when in reality, uh, it's just not true that human beings are by design asymmetrical. Yeah, one uh, one way I like to look about it is kind of like a an ever-moving goalpost where it's something that um, you're definitely working towards, but you're probably never going to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may spend some part of the year where it's more important uh, versus the other part of the year where it's less important. And this would likely come around competitions where uh, closer competitions, you're probably having to do things that are taking you away from uh, working towards asymmetry let's say because if let's say for powerlifting is probably the easiest easiest example um closer to a competition you're having to do more squats more deadlifts and more benching you can't do some of those things that may allow you to uh decrease this asymmetry um and uh then farther from uh competition you may have times where you're kind of working towards towards balance Mm -hmm. um yeah and towards the end of the show we're going to talk more about what specific types of exercises uh, you can involve to help this, be that in a warm-up or in your training, uh, and similar uh, to what Kyle just said, how this might fit in a periodized plan for other sports as well. But I think because we're talking about strength sports, does asymmetry, although we have this aesthetic in mind uh, as it might pertain to bodybuilding and the like, uh, which, you know, just as bodybuilding attracts people of a certain genetic uh, um, leanness and muscularity, it might also attract people who have more symmetry than others. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing, and hopefully I put this in uh, a correct way, is that what we want to get across is that it's not something that needs to be 100%, and it's okay if you have some asymmetries, because you do, that's Mm -hmm. what it is to be human. Um, and unless it's, uh, uh, significantly noticeable where, uh, there's just like a huge shift or a huge weakness from side to side, it's probably not as important as, uh, maybe 
it may be made out to be in um, fitness marketing and the fitness industry where they're trying to almost target that something's wrong. Yes. And, and I think if we know that humans are not symmetrical, yet there is this negative stigma attached to not looking perfectly symmetrical, mm. that's going to create conflict. Or even that it's hurting your performance. Yes. Yeah. So speaking of performance with, with strength sports, we have many examples on the highest level of performance, well, strength and, and power, we can say. When you look at uh, uh, name, Sulemanglu and, and weightlifting, uh, who, if you watch his videos, this is Pocket Hercules, you'll see there's really nothing symmetrical about the lift. And uh, there's even a uh, one or two Chinese lifters who I, I've seen in the past few Olympics who, mm-hmm. when they recover their lifts, it's like... Tim Tao has a uh, Tim Tao does, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, you definitely notice these things. They don't, however, um, you notice these asymmetries. They don't <clears throat> prevent the lifter from accomplishing the end goal. Uh, and while there might be a cer- certain aesthetic that we like in the sport of weightlifting, well, the rules don't really acquire that mm-hmm. require that aesthetic. Similarly, Usain Bolt uh, has scoliosis in his spine meaning that the, the curvature of his spine is uh not perfect but he's the best sprinter to have ever existed the point is that you can still accomplish tremendous feats of strength and we'll later on acknowledge where higher endurance events might be a different scenario and how to resolve that but you can accomplish great feats of strength uh with asymmetry that doesn't mean that you ignore it doesn't mean that it's not important but it speaks to how um, this might not be something we have to be fearful of. Furthermore, the literature, although it is a small uh, pool of literature, shows that being symmetrical when they're trying to find correlations of um, asymmetry and increase uh, pain perception, well, even that literature is inconclusive. So we have to, like Kyle said, not be fearful, but just know how we can appropriately involve training for symmetry into a larger plan. Mm-hmm. Now, it, before uh, we, we move on, the reason that I had mentioned strength or power sports is that on the whole, strength and power sports, when you think of CrossFit and powerlifting and weightlifting, strongman and the like, the rates of injury are so fewer per hour, uh, as it's usually studied, relative to endurance events, namely to running, which is the the sport that has the highest uh, injury rates. If you think about the why, you think about the sheer uh, repetitiveness of it. And what that speaks to, and what a lot of, though inconclusive, the literature proposes is that It is not the asymmetry in and of itself per a single joint action, as there's been studies looking at squats that reveal that no one person's body uh, is, well, they're not studying the whole world, but in these studies, they're showing that between the hip, knee, and ankle, there's asymmetry left and right for sure, but that um, there is uh, no, um, how do I say, uh, there, there is no symmetrical part of your body that could, uh, in a single instance, account for increased likelihood of injury. Mm -hmm. So as to say that with running, the sheer volume of it over time, and if a runner is not involving uh, strength training, Mm -hmm. then these things 
can lead to injury because the volume is so high and there might not be a strength program or protocol as we'll get into to support it. Yeah, one way uh, we were talking about this before the podcast a little is, so let's say in running you have um, your, your left leg is a little weaker than your, your, your right leg. Um, and what Zach was getting to is that ultimately it comes down to uh, loading volume and periodization in, in, this, in these things. Um, and if your left leg is a little bit weaker than your right, it's going to just, when it starts to hurt, just means that you have too much volume on that leg. And that's just your volume. That's just your limiter. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that you need to have that symmetrical. It's just that's what's holding you back from increasing more volume. So you can do things to, to mitigate that. Uh, but it's not that the asymmetry in itself is uh, the cause. It's just that because of that that weakness from right to left, it's just that one leg is getting more impact. So thus the intensity and volume is higher. On that yeah, leg. I might be able to walk to my friend's house or to work and never notice it. But then I go to train for a marathon mm. and well, you know, let's say under uh, – normal circumstances i might not have the best plan for that but i just go out and run a lot Mm -hmm. it's a pretty stark contrast but it just shows that you can have that underlying asymmetry but it's the volume that brings it out Mm -hmm. um you know one thing i wanted to uh, mention is that we can also look at uh injury rates per sport as this has been studied and figure out where we might want to spend time working uh, in terms of training to resolve asymmetries that are causing pain. And a way that we, like Kyle said, can know is that if you're performing, uh, because we'll never know for sure uh, the degree to which asymmetry is causing pain, but if you're having bilateral pain or pain during your strength training or your crossfitting, well, perhaps you reduce the volume down of that which is causing pain, which involves both extremities or both sides of the body and then fill in with some unilateral work. Mm -hmm. So we involve a lot of unilateral training and dumbbell training to help, uh, I want want to say resolve, uh, but to help try to create a defense against these type of injuries, especially when there's high volumes associated with them. So for instance, let's take a CrossFitter case study. So there's been studies on CrossFit showing that the shoulder joint is the, that which is injured most frequently in CrossFit. Okay, so, but again, relative to running and other endurance sports, the injury rates are super low. But if I have a handstand push-up workout and repeatedly handstand push-ups aggravate my shoulder, well, what we would have our athletes do is we'd maybe half the volume or even just lay off of it for a little while. And knowing that the shoulder joint is a very mobile joint. It can produce tremendous range of motion in different planes of motion. Then we add a little bit more stability to it. Maybe we add something like a weighted carry by the side, under the chin, overhead, and we create a little bit more stability in the joint and then gradually increase handstand push-up volume. It sounds kind of dumbed down and too simplistic, but that's really what we do. It's creating enough of a one-sided effect while adjusting for volume in other areas that we see the most success with. Yeah, I would agree with that. And what we see a lot with our weightlifters and powerlifters as injury rates are highest uh, 
among rather than um, shoulders, but for weightlifters, weightlifters and powerlifters, we see highest rates as research has shown in the low back. Well, considering the low back, we see core musculature, we see the hips, and we might involve, for different reasons, loaded carries, lunging, unilateral hinging. We don't have to stop all the exercise together, but we have this approach of reducing volume with that which is causing pain through tolerable ranges of motion while filling in with one-sided elements that help you feel better. Mm-hmm. There's not a there's not a magic ratio. Uh, there isn't a, a, a specific uh, percentage of one versus the other because that's not that's very. Uh, if, if I think one thing when we started. We were very much, and kind of one of the reasons why the name strength ratio existed is because we cared a lot about these exercise correlations that we were learning about at the time, um, which didn't really have any uh, scientific uh, peer-reviewed literature to support. It It was more uh, experimental. And rather than saying, well, here's what your split squat should be relative to your back squat, we just tried to say, well, can you squat comfortably with adjust loads and ranges of motion and volume? And can we just simply introduce bilateral lunging and squatting in this mm-hmm. example that doesn't increase pain? Yeah, I think one thing we said there as well in terms of the ratios is that it's not that they have to be exact or there's a certain percentage because they can, they can vary so much across populations, individuals, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's that we just you just don't want one to be significantly weaker than the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can squat, I don't know, 600 pounds, but you can only deadlift 200 that's obviously a huge uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, gap there. That and your experience your low back pain that could be why. Um, so that was definitely one thing that has, I think over the years has switched as well yeah. in, ter- in terms of balancing those things out. Um, now, one thing I wanted to bring up is why you know some people might say, okay, well, why don't we just always do unilateral? Doesn't that seem like it would maybe fix this issue of asymmetries because that way we're always trying to balance one side or the other. And um, one point there is outside of sports-specific context. So, like, obviously, you can't only do unilateral if you want to squat the most heaviest weight in powerlifting because strength is so specific. Um, but a good way I've, I've heard it explained is that if you think of uh, the chest as a river and then the two legs as um, – what would you call side rivers again? How do you call them? Oh, how do you explain this? This is like fourth grade yeah. biology. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyways. You were so poetic. I was like, where is this going? I know, but you, uh, you think of the, the, the two legs as, as two streams branching off, right? Okay. And uh, Sounds. It no. could be like sounds. No. I guess, maybe. <laughs> it could be, uh, uh, what is the other one? A restaurant, what's a, I'm going to Google this. Well, you talk to me, Google. Anyways, uh, and then the the two legs, the strings breaking off. Um, When you have a a single leg, you are forcing uh, the most, uh, the mainstream into one stream. So that stream is going to be stronger with a single leg because the mainstream is only going, or the main river is only going to one stream. But if you have to go into both legs, uh, some of that power is kind of getting, um, Uh, diverted into both legs but uh the difference here is that the uh absolute load with two legs versus one legs is much stronger so the overall uh power of the river is much stronger when going into both legs 
Um, so that's why increasing that uh, overall neural drive, so in the neural drive in this sense would be the power of the main river, is more important than increasing the um, absolute or the single lake or single stream uh, uh, flow, if that makes sense. Hopefully I explained that well. I'm trying to get on Mike Israel level of analogies there. Yeah, well, I think it's a branch. I found it so, so a smaller body of water would be a, it's just a, it branches off from the river and it's just called a branch or a distributary channel. We really do have to get better with analogies. Yeah. But I, I do think that um, when this is also important if we're going to bring up uh, when uh, athletes talk to us, they often come to us from a standpoint of, and I think what makes this really challenging is that uh, someone has told them that what they have, if they're not perfectly symmetrical, is is wrong. And I think that's kind of first thing that we want to take care of. It, it's not wrong, mm-hmm. but it can be improved upon. And when you are looking to improve upon these side-to-side imbalances, you have to do it in a way that is not with heavy load, mm-hmm. that can be used with control, that you build a lot of volume with. So we spoke about bodybuilders having a lot of balance. If you asked a bodybuilder, to, to flex their, their lats and, and do a lat spread, they can do that and not engage their upper traps. So they have like really good muscular awareness. And they involve a lot of like one-armed rows and unilateral work like lunges. So they have this fine awareness of, of how to use these muscles and they do it with a lot of volume. And bodybuilders have an, uh, a tremendous, well, when bodybuilding training is done right, a tremendous awareness of technique and what muscles are doing what. So when you work on your unilateral exercises, it's important to not just go through the motions. Mm-hmm. Just doing a unilateral exercise won't just kind of take care of things. You want to know what major muscle groups you're involving and can you feel them. And in those early stages, it might involve a lessening of load that you either want to do or perceive yourself as doing and just making sure that you feel uh, muscles working uh, where you're hoping that they actually work. And if you don't, you might do some research on it, ask your coach if your technique is correct, etc. But so important to see unilateral exercises not as something that you would improve for absolute strength as it pertains to these sports that we're talking about. Maybe say for like a track athlete or a power athlete, they might take it a little bit heavier than other sports would. But these exercises are, are exercises you're using with light to moderate loads for higher volumes over time. Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit about uh, why asymmetries probably aren't as significant as uh, some people make them out to be. In terms of predicting injury. Injury, yes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about maybe some things we do, um, just some unilateral exercises we really like uh, for different uh, movement patterns. Uh, and kind of how we program throughout the year to kind of get towards that ever-moving goalpost that I mentioned uh, in the beginning. Um, Do you want to start with that? Yeah. So throughout our athletes' year, whether we're right up towards competition or far away, our athletes' warm-ups, if they're not, for instance, just warming up a snatch with lighter weight when they have snatches or warming up a squat with lighter weight when they have squats, they're doing something that involves 
low impact, light loaded unilateral training. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to look up these exercises, we can even probably attach them as demos in the show notes, but things like one arm windmills, um, also one-sided exercises may not always involve just you standing on a BOSU ball in your mind. It, it could involve both feet on the ground at the same time. So something like a lateral squat or a Cossack squat, um, lateral band walks, dead bugs, ski jumps, like lateral jumps side to side. These are things that don't take a lot of time that are low impact and we're not training them so as to get stronger, but they're there for more or less just like maintenance so that if we are getting very specific for training and we're nearing competition where we're not doing a whole lot of accessory work, we still have that there for our warm-up to keep our athletes healthy and that they can still prioritize their strength or CrossFit like accessory or sorry, CrossFit like primaries mm -hmm. without the distraction of extra accessory work. Yeah. And, and that kind of serves as a maintenance of sorts. Yes. And then what you can do uh, after a competition, so after things have become very specific, is you can even spend a whole uh, mesocycle uh, doing like all unilateral mm -hmm. exercises. Uh, and that will serve not also as kind of like a little stimulus for both sides, but it's also going to reduce overall volume and load because you can't load them up as heavy. So it also acts as a little bit of a recovery phase as well. Uh, take some fatigue off the body. Uh, challenges areas that haven't been challenged in a while and then slowly uh, throughout the year or throughout however long your competition phase is uh, things can start to get more specific again moving more back towards these more or maintenance styles as the competition gets closer yeah and i really like how in just that simple sentence you kind of uh, figured all of those variables into one piece is that when you're far away from your competition or from your end goal like we're not talking about running so we're talking about like something that's specific often yeah. involving higher intensities or uh, higher loading patterns that simply using unilateral exercises reduces fatigue because you can't use as much weight. Mm -hmm. So that's where volume and loading and periodization all fall into this yeah. same topic. I, that, I think that's really important. Another thing I, I just thought of as I was uh, thinking there was farther away, you can be kind of less uh, picky in the unilateral exercises that you use. So if you're just after competition, maybe try to hit a little bit of everything. But as the year goes, you really have to get specific in the terms of uh, what you need to have unilateral, not unilateral for. Um, because if you're still just trying to hit a little bit of everything, it could be a lot of wasted uh, time, and then also it adds fatigue as well. Which is why it's so good to have it in the form of a warm-up yeah. when you're not going to have extra fatigue. Um, the other thing, some other things you can do in terms of uh, sometimes tactile cues can be very good uh, in terms of uh, helping people maybe feel if things are moving versus not moving. So um, for any kind of squat or a lift, sometimes just a, a light band around the knees can be very good. Uh, it reminds both sides to kind of push a little bit against the band to stay um, uh, to stay balanced. Uh, for single leg work, um, you can put a band around like um, uh, a rack and then step out and have the band around your, your knee and do like light lunges there to really remember. Kind of same idea as the band around both, both legs to kind of have the knee come out, don't let it come in, kind of things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, same things can be done for the upper body as well. So as you as we talk about this it just reminds us of that topic we had with youth development is that if you can really introduce these things into a program mm -hmm. it would be probably high up the list with just 
foundational techniques across the board. Not only would you want a youth athlete or, or, or beginner to have foundational techniques uh, with their bilateral training, but you'd want to have a, a really healthy dose of unilateral stuff because you know once you've done things incorrectly long enough, mm -hmm. it's hard to rewrite. You can mitigate it, but you you might not be able to fully resolve it. And I, it's yeah, not that I would even say most big imbalances are more a result of, of poor technique development from the start from the than start. actual asymmetry kind of thing. Yeah, and, and, and I agree just based on, on my observation as well with, with our clients and, and with and myself. Um, but that's not to say that you can't train um, at all or that's not to say that you can't make gains. It, it might uh, just require a different mindset around what you need to do to perform an exercise comfortably. So let's just say you're listening to this podcast and you didn't have that development as a kid and you did kind of uh, maybe really overstress faulty mechanics. While you might not be able to reclaim that time, and certainly we can't reclaim time that you would have had if you're 20 when you're now 40, of course, we can perhaps not force things to look more symmetrical if it causes discomfort. So like Dean Sommer said, I remember posted something probably like a year ago now, where he showed his stance when he deadlifts. And his right foot was turned out to an angle that in the photograph looks certainly noticeable. It's like almost turned out 20 degrees. Mm. And he says, this is how I now pull. And if I turn my feet forward, I have discomfort. And for myself personally, uh, that happens in my squat. Mm -hmm. Like I have really good... Uh, access to my hips and my ankles, but my feet aren't lined up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that gets me down, but then I remember, okay, I'm improving in my squat. I'm, I'm not experiencing pain and I'm going to involve my unilateral exercises. But I do find that if I'm not involving the unilateral exercises, I do notice some things creep up. So at least anecdotally, I know that this particular thing for me is something that I want to keep up with just as like uh, extra assurance or like mm -hmm armor, if that makes sense, against things creeping up. Do you, do you know something in yourself too? Yeah, I definitely uh, always like to have, and who knows if this is a psychological thing. It could be, uh, yeah. Like again, the, the, the literature is, is not as, yeah. as conclusive as you would imagine. Yeah, but I always like to have some sort of uh, unilateral exercises and whether that be, again, just from a mindset thing or may there be actually be some sort of physical thing happening where um, – it opens up for my, like I do split squats, it opens up my hips to some extent uh -huh. or something like that just by having that stimulus in there. Um, but yeah, I always do like to have, have them in. Um, I definitely try to keep, I have my favorite ones mm -hmm. that I like for certain movements uh, and try not to get too crazy um, and make sure they are movements that um, I'm able to load appropriately. I think that's something that comes up with unilateral exercises as well is that sometimes they get a little bit too crazy um, in terms of like what they look like because they're, uh, I'm going to say this word terribly, purported to have mm -hmm. some specific benefit. Uh, I know we, we've seen some um, uh, Instagram uh, videos of it's someone's- like eye candy that just like yeah. try to break up the newsfeed a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's like some some special exercise that's supposed to help, but it's like, it's just there's the loading on it will never be sufficient enough to cause the stimulus. It may be hard the first time you do it because it's just like that crazy, mm -hmm. but over time it's not going to actually have a benefit. Yeah, or like it might not improve uh, your um, 
work capacity uh, or yeah. hypertrophy in an area. Like that might be like a warm up thing. Yeah. But like that's or cool. Range, or it, range of motion too. Yeah, yeah. It, it might help like get you going. It might help you feel better primed, so to speak, for exercise. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to like perhaps or it could um, be your your one size fits all fix. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know when you do involve you know lateral exercises, you have to try different things that feel comfortable on the body, presumably because you are. I th- especially, I think, in, in uh, the world of, of training that doesn't quite follow a structured periodized plan. Let's just say you're a CrossFitter and you go to group classes or you are a weightlifter or powerlifter who follows high level of specificity. You're only uh, probably coming into this discussion out of necessity because you're hurting. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you're just not getting it mm-hmm. uh, in, in your programming where if you are experiencing pain and you're introducing unilateral exercises, uh, if a unilateral exercise still causes pain, look at the major muscles involved. And if lunging hurts, try stepping. If stepping hurts, uh, try lunging at an angle. You mm-hmm. know, there, there are many ways to, to work around this so you still involve major muscle groups that aren't reflective of the plane and range of motion that is causing pain. But hopefully we can catch some of you who are healthy and use unilateral exercise for hypertrophy Mm -hmm. and for potentially work capacity. Uh, CrossFit's involving a lot more unilateral exercises uh, in their uh, competitions and in the open. And just from a health and maintenance standpoint, and as Kyle mentioned, even as a psychological way to break up the year Mm -hmm. with how heavily you're specifying on one particular outcome. And, and one thing I just want to emphasize, because um, I think sometimes this happens, is that just because it's, uh, or technique is just as important in unilateral exercises as it is with the main things. I think sometimes people get a little uh, lackluster with their unilateral. Because they see it as not being exciting. Yeah, they see it as not being exciting or, or not as important. Uh, but being just as strict, just as controlled, it's all just as important as with the main lifts. Mm -hmm. Um, Some good examples I see very often are like a a single leg deadlift is often like way overloaded uh, relative to what they should be doing for, for the movement. Um, And that could potentially cause like a bigger imbalance. Or you will sometimes see people one leg deadlifting with significant load. Yeah. There's like crazy amount of knee flexion going on. Whereas like, you know, yeah. one leg deadlift, or we we like a landmine for that particular yeah. example because it really locks in the hip. It's like yeah. you're training; it's a hip hinge exercise, it's a deadlift. Yeah. Um, but then it becomes all funky and and almost becomes potentially more injurious than your regular your regular deadlift. Yeah, and I think sometimes there's a, a, a idea that unilateral has to mean imbalanced as well. So like uh, things can also be. You mentioned the the landmine deadlift. You can have a fixed feet but just opposite. So it's something we've been using a lot lately or that I like personally um, is uh, B stands or kickstand, uh, which basically just means that you're going to have uh, one foot slightly forward and then one foot behind, obviously. Um, and then, but both feet are fixed as opposed to some moving. Uh, and I think for me right now, that just feels, um, and for people I've worked with as well, it just allows everything to stay a little bit more stable so that way there's not as much movement going on there. And then as that starts to feel better, then maybe progressing to some uh, stuff that may be inherently unbalanced. I mean, because walking lunges as, as well can sometimes uh, 
people will twist and turn in that as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So we've reviewed why asymmetry is not essential for strength sports, how though the research is inconclusive, there is a wealth of, uh, I, I should say, uh, anecdotal experience from many, many athletes, likely uh, yourselves included, who report feeling uh, one-sided pain that has been resolved with the use of one-sided exercises. But that it doesn't mean that uh, there's anything inherently wrong with our bodies, that we can't partake in the activities that we hope to partake in, and that, in fact, it is just quite part of being human. And it's just one of those considerations that we want to take when it comes to planning and programming. Uh, We will link some of our favorite exercises for training uh, unilaterally in the show notes, and we'll also make links for our favorite unilateral warm-ups. I think we've covered it all. Is there anything else you want to say about symmetry as it pertains to performance or injury mitigation? Um, I just want to uh, maybe like reiterate or not reiterate or say, say the idea that it's not that we're saying that there shouldn't be addressed or noticed. It's that yeah, hopefully that doesn't come across. Yeah. That. It's just that uh, there's going to be inherently some, uh, you can um, try to mitigate them as close to possible, but it's okay. Like it's not not a huge issue, uh, and we'll just always be working on them a little bit. Yep. All right. Well, that wraps up episode twenty one of the Strength Ratio Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Have a great day.